This episode is full of spoilers and contains some not-so-super language. citizens welcome to the fortress of potitude i'm dave michaels i'm brian betts and we are the cape podcasters and that sound that you hear underneath as we record this is just us walking on eggshells that's the sound do you like your eggs over or up uh it doesn't really matter they're just in shell form all over the ground and there's also a tightrope in between all the eggshells <laughs> that we're also over walking the on yeah yeah because today <laughs> we are talking about 1994's The Crow, directed by Alex fucking Proyas. Alex fucking Proyas, who you might remember from movies like I, Robot, Knowing with Nick Cage, and Gods of Egypt. You're just not going to say Dark City just to annoy me because you know I love that movie. That is the, the intent, yeah. That's a really, really bold choice to do, especially because this movie is just full of downers. And you're just going to start <laughs> it on that level of bringing me down? <laughs> Gotta keep the tone consistent, man. Fair enough. Have you ever seen Dark City? I've never seen Dark City, no. Oh, man, you got to watch Dark City. I'll add it to the list. It's on my Patreon list, and it's been there for, I don't know, when do we start doing Patreon stuff? Because it was one of the first movies I wanted to do. I just kept pushing it off, pushing it off, and now I'm kind of like, yeah, when we get a little closer to The Matrix 4, it's a little more appropriate. And you'll understand why when we talk about Dark City one day. I'm very excited to find the connection. But more importantly... Have you ever seen The Crow? I have never seen The Crow until now. And? Holy shit, what a good movie. It's extremely good. I was surprised. I did not expect it to be as good as it is. The Crow is a comic book from 1989 written by James Obar, first published by Caliber Comics, and people said, yeah, movie it. Why the hell not? (laughs) Hey, movie it. That Tim Burton fella. He made a dark night really, really dark. Yeah, we got other dark things. Fuck it. Go for it. Yeah, the night happens on so many different places in different comics. I mean, it's not the same spelling. It's a different kind of night. <laughs> I was letting you catch that on your own. Good job. <laughs> hey, Dave, have you ever seen this movie? Never. And I thought I had. And after watching the first like two seconds, I went, nope, never. Nope. I would have remembered that. I would have. And this is a tricky movie to talk about for so many obvious reasons. Because it does have one of the most famous production accidents on set that's ever occurred. Because this movie is starring Brandon fucking Lee, and it's also his final role due to gunfire on set. Right. Get that out of the way right now. Yeah, this movie has a weird cloud hanging over it. And then when you watch it, the content adds to the cloud (laughs) over it just because of what the movie's actually about. Yeah, exactly. Actually, I have an IMDb trivia fact that kind of lines up with what you're saying right now. A preemptive trivia fact. I got to start getting them in where you least expect them, and we're not even in the movie yet, so (laughs) how could you expect it? Prior to filming, Brendan Lee had a somewhat morbid fascination with death. He would often drive around in a hearse he owned, visit famous graves, and would listen to The Doors. Now, you were doing really, really well for the first two. <laughs> and then when you said, listen to the doors, like, I didn't know that they were just associated with, like, death. Apparently. I understand Jim Morrison 
died. Right. But <laughs> that's like what you do. It's like, oh, man, I'm feeling really goth today. Go around town, listen to the doors. <laughs> People are going to look at you and they're like, wow, that guy is a weirdo. Listen to the doors. He must be obsessed with death or something. Oh, uh, I guess we should probably just break onto the other side and get into this. Oh, one. look at you. <laughs> the layup. People once believed that when someone dies, a crow carries their soul to the land of the dead. But sometimes, something so bad happens that a terrible sadness is carried with it, and the soul can't rest. Then sometimes, just sometimes, the crow can bring that soul back to put the wrong things right. Quick question for you, because I understand that is the opening narration of this thing. It sure is. How different would Casper have been? If it just had a crow flying around that big old mansion the whole time. <laughs> it's funny you say that because Alex Proyas was, was one of the people they wanted to direct Casper. Really? Yeah. I feel like that movie's too lighthearted for him. Way too lighthearted. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you're saying that the ghost kid doesn't even kill anybody? I'm out. No thanks. Read your script. Not enough actual death. I need real death, not just a pervy little ghost. Thank you. You're not going to let me kill Bill Pullman, not Paxton, and let him stay dead? I don't want to do it then. No, I'm going to go do this movie about unfinished business and a goth kid. It's very different. Dead. Super different. Very. October 30th, Devil's Night. Now, in some places, they call this Cabbage Night. What did you call it growing up? Uh, Where I'm from, we don't have a name for the night before Halloween. Really? Yeah. It's just... The day before Halloween. The day before Halloween. That's so boring. I think that's most places. It's you weirdos with your mischief nights and cabbage nights that are the weirdos. That wasn't even what it was where I grew up. It was goosey night. That's even worse. Somehow you found something that's worse than cabbage night. Yeah, somehow. We lit fires all around the city, uh, threw eggs (laughs) at our coach's windows, our high school (laughs) coach's windows. I don't know what people did. I never did any of that stuff. I was boring, damn it. You were just... Playing it loosey-goosey. Like toilet papering my neighbor's house because they said it was okay. You can do it if you want. If the, It'll give you some clout at school. I know you need that street oh, cred. Man. How pathetic is that? <laughs> you can toilet paper my bathroom, but just on the roll. <laughs> How cool would it have been, though, if you had, like, you've seen the videos, like the leaf blowers that people use? And they oh, like, yeah. fire up the leaf blower and just shoots toilet it's paper. Bro- I was like, I've always wanted to do that. It's like, now I'm an adult and I have a leaf blower and I have toilet paper and I've still never done it. Yeah, well, if you're going to do it now, it's probably going to be to your own house. Well, yeah. That seems like a way. No, you know what? Take your leaf blower. Take your industrial-sized package of toilet paper and head on over to It's Just Kevin's house. Just fire away. Just ruin his house. Yeah. He doesn't listen to this. Kev, I'm coming for you. You're getting goose, son. So it's goosey night. (laughs) Yes, it is. And Sergeant Albrecht, Ernie fucking Hudson, Zed Moore himself... He's here contaminating all the evidence at a scene, at a crime scene. You know, the scene where the crime happened. <laughs> That's what they call it. <laughs> wow. You stumbled right into that one. That was amazing it was to a listen quick to. recovery. Shelley Webster, played by Sophia Sheenis, who's in this movie. She was beaten and raped, and her fiancé, local musician and guitarist Eric Draven, played by Brandon fucking Lee. Give him a couple more fuckings. Brand fucking done fucking Lee. Fuck. Nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like the last one kind of made it sound bad. A little bit. But, like, I've known the lore behind the making of this movie for so long. And then when I finally watched it and watched his performance, I went, oh. Yeah. Like, it 
kind of blew me away. Yeah. He's ridiculously good. He's insanely good. And I always thought it was just, oh, he's a young kid. Like, okay, we lost a young actor. It's a tragedy. This is an accident on set that shouldn't have happened. But it's like, no, he was talented Yeah, all. Get up. Yeah, this, this is a role that would have made it so he wasn't just Bruce Lee's son anymore. Right, exactly. Because that's always what people are, oh, yeah, Bruce Lee's son. But th- this is Brandon fucking Lee. Oh, yeah, it is. And I would argue at this point, like where we stand now, I don't know if it's because we're not as far removed from like 1993 when he died. Yeah. More famous than Bruce Lee. But it could just be within our generation of it. Yeah, it could be a generational thing. But I don't disagree with you. Anyway, he's also been murdered, stabbed, shot, and thrown out of a window. Yeah, it's not great. And this is the actual scene where Brandon Lee took the real bullet. Right. And they filmed this with like a week left of production for the most part. So all of his stuff was already done. In the can, as they say in the biz. Exactly. There are a lot of scenes in this movie that they had to use a stunt double for, and they actually use CGI to superimpose his face onto it, which is which super impressive. one of the first, and it's really early, because the T-Rex in Jurassic Park, then they superimpose <laughs> the face on that, because dinosaurs have been dead for forever. Yeah. They're like, damn, dinosaur looks real, because the CGI face they put on the fake dinosaur. Exactly. It's like, yeah, do that for Brandon Lee, and they did it. They're like, yeah, done, easy. Get the dinosaur guy in here for the Brandon Lee. <laughs> the worst part about all of this, this is the night before their wedding. These two just get, you know, the shit kicked out of them. How much more goth could you get that you're going to get married on Halloween? On Halloween? Yeah, I mean, there's, I don't think you can get more goth than that. Oh, wait, wait, wait. You do it in 1993. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> It's like, oh, well, we can either get married on Halloween, and if our weird cemetery is booked that day for the wedding, then we're going to do it. Oh, winter solstice. We get to burn trees then, or whatever we do. Is that what they do? Is that summer solstice? I don't know. One of the Whichever one's the pagan one where we dance around burning trees. I think that's all of them. Very fair. Every equinox and solstice and, I don't know, we're burning stuff. We're celebrating stuff. (laughs) Spirits. Burn it. I don't know. You would have been a terrible goth kid in 1993. Oh, well, yeah. In 1993, I would have been <laughs> the worst goth kid. People would have been like, why is that child dressed like that? <laughs> I could see you being like the goth kid from Letterkenny, just going out wondrous. <laughs> wondrous. <laughs> why did your parents dress you up in those clothes? Look at me. I look badass, and I listen to the doors. Oh, you must be obsessed with death or something. <laughs> So as Officer Zedmore prepares to leave for the hospital with Shelly, he meets a cool girl with a skateboard. Her name's Sarah. She's played by Rochelle Davis. I don't know why she's in this movie. Uh, I don't know either. All right, good. That's a, glad that's we a great that. question. <laughs> she says she's a friend of Eric and Shelly's and that they would take care of her because her mom sucks. And then she calls Zedmore out because he's like, oh, Shelly's going to be fine. She's like, no, she's not. She's going to die. That's pretty dark. That's very dark. And then we just go, we do a cut, we do a a time jump, like a whole year. Well, yeah, and it says one year later, Brian. That's the giveaway. (laughs) Yeah, but they just drop that on you. They're like, she's not going to make it. And you're like, we're going to find out, right? No, one year later. And she's fine. She's still fine. She's still riding that skateboard. But now you got to go through another devil's night. Exactly. It's another cabbage night, another goosey night. You're liking it. I see the smile on your face, and you're liking Goosey Night. Well, there's something about saying Goosey that's just a lot of fun. 
Very fair. A crow flies over the dark and rainy city, landing on the headstone of Eric Draven. It taps at the stone with its beak, and you know some shit is going to go down now. (laughs) And this is another actual IMDb trivia fact. I cannot imagine where this is going to go. Even though the movie, based on the comic, is called The Crow, none of the birds used in the film are actually crows. No, it's a raven. All of them were, in fact, ravens, which are much larger than crows and have a longer, more impressive beak. (laughs) I went out of their way to point out how impressive that beak is. It's a very impressive beak. I got ravens that go around my house here. Yeah. But when I look outside, you see the crow out there, and you're like, crow, that's a big-ass bird. It's all fidgety, though. When a raven lands, that motherfucker is stoic. He sits there, and you're like, thank God I don't have any headstones sitting behind my house, because if he taps on that thing, I don't know what's coming out. Probably whoever's buried there. (laughs) I mean, that's the obvious answer based on the movie I just watched. I don't know. Why don't more people fuck around with ravens in cemeteries? Like, just to mess with people. It's a great question. You send a raven in. In this, they had a crow wrangler. I saw it in the credits, even though it was all ravens. They had a crow wrangler. Can you imagine training that thing to just, like, fly into a cemetery and just see where people are, like, mourning and whatnot? And it just goes up and lands on the headstone. It just goes. (laughs) Then you got some, like, 50-year-old guy who saw a crow from when he was in, like, his 20s. He's like, what the fuck? What is happening? Grandma's coming back, We got to get out of here. She's got to avenge it. Yes. (laughs) Apparently, ravens are very smart birds, so it would have been easy to do. To train. <laughs> I guess so. The raven does everything in this movie. It kicks ass. That's so raven. That's so draven. Oh, he's, his last name is similar to the bird that he's not. Uh-huh. Clever. Is it? I don't know. <laughs> Zedmore and Sarah. Oh, yeah, I'm doing another Roy bit from last week. I'm just calling him Zedmore the whole movie. It's easier. It's already fucking Hudson. Lean in. Exactly. Zedmore and Sarah... Seem to have built up some sort of friendship in the last year, and they both really like hot dogs. They both really like hot dogs, except Sarah eats a hot dog like a monster. She does. Like, she's eating the thing, like, flipping it over, not sure how to bite it, and you're just like, just bite the fucking hot dog. This isn't hard. <laughs> how do I hold it? Is it like a burger? Uh, quick question, uh, Alex Proyas. This is uh, whoever the girl is who plays Sarah. Uh, what What is this meat and bread thing that I'm holding, and what's my motivation <laughs> for this scene? Oh, I'm never going to work again after this? Never mind. We'll just do it. Okay. (laughs) I'll just eat it like a sandwich. That makes sense to me. Got it. It's not a sandwich. Don't start that. I didn't say that. I'm saying that's how she ate it. It is how she ate it. That's dangerous ground to go in, though. But now it it also makes me wonder if Kobayashi ate the thing like he was eating a a corn on the cob. corn on the cob, yeah. (laughs) That's going straight across instead of down the hatch. Like, that is not efficient. How many different ways are there to eat hot dogs? <laughs> now I'm curious. I think there's probably like two or three, and Sarah couldn't figure any of them out. She <laughs> got confused trying to eat a hot dog. She was like, is this a corn dog? I don't see the corn part. <laughs> Eric climbs out of the ground and screams into the night. As you do. Yeah, yeah. Anytime you get resurrected, it's natural to just yell. Let the world know that you are back. He stumbles along, following the crow to his old apartment. The place is still under police investigation, and the cat is still alive a year later. And the window's never been fixed. Yeah, you know. uh, (laughs) It's been a year. 
That's going to segue me right into cinemacats.com. Yeah, as it should. I knew this was coming the second I saw that cat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it had to happen. Cinemacats.com says, when Eric enters his apartment after returning from the dead, a Turkish Angora cat approaches him. The cat's name is Gabriel, and he was the pet of Eric and his fiance. When Eric reaches down to pick up the cat, he is bombarded by memories of the night they were murdered. In the memory, the cat hisses at the intruders, then scratches Skank, played by Angel David, who was holding him. And then Sid McCats did something interesting. They gave us background on the cat from the comic books. So they just abandoned this medium and just went to another. Well, they talked about the other scenes in the movie that the cat comes back in, but I'm not going to talk about those because I'm going to get this out of the way. Okay. But they did mention in the original comic book, Gabriel was a gift for Shelly, which Eric brings to the apartment one year after her death. It's pretty neat. I guess that's pretty neat. I just like that they were like, hey, here's the origin story of this cat. I like to imagine that whoever writes Cinema Cats is just sitting there in their basement listening to the doors, reading the Crow <laughs> comic books, and they're just like, this cat's awesome. CinemaCats.com's final musing, cats don't mind hanging out with deceased vigilantes. It's true. <laughs> they're totally cool with it. Uh, yeah, I guess so. It's kind of like uh, how Catwoman had her whole origin, isn't it? That's exactly how it went down. There you go. Catwoman and the Crow, one and the same. That's not a link I was looking for, but here we nope. are. Here we are. So while Eric has his visions of the night of his murder and the gang responsible, he grabs the frame of the broken window that he was thrown from, and the glass cuts deep into his palms. But get this, the blood just flows back into his palms, and the wounds heal themselves. Isn't that wild, though? Like, he cuts himself, the blood goes back into him. It's like, oh, what the hell? Like, you're recycling yourself. You know who would approve? Captain Planet. He would love that so much. It's the best kind of recycling, self-recycling. It would have been pretty badass if Don Cheadle, Captain Planet, oh. flew in through that <laughs> window. And he goes, ah, Eric, you're back. Thank you for recycling yourself. Captain Planet. <laughs> Don Cheadle, the best Captain Planet. And then it's just a whole connected universe. Somehow. Of yeah, Captain it's... Planet and the Crow. And don't forget Catwoman. And Catwoman's in there, too. <laughs> the Cinema Cats extended universe. Unbelievable. More to come, maybe. I have no idea where this is all going yet. Who knows? Meanwhile, the gang that murdered him is still around, causing havoc around the city. You know, blowing up buildings, smashing arcades, drawing their guns on one another in a bar. And they're just laughing the whole time, just not even hiding that they're... The bad guys are like, oh, we're bad. We blow up fires. Light it up. Light it up. Yeah, fire. Love fire and lighten it up. You would think the cop who's out there just eating hot dogs all day is going to hear this. It's a very small city. It seems like it, but no. No, he's just going to keep on eating his hot dog. It's, you know what it is. It's all those extra onions. That must be it. Makes it really hard to hear criminals. That's right. And it gives you real nasty farts, according to Sarah. That's because she's a kid and farts are funny. Farts are funny. Eric has a few more flashbacks about his relationship with Shelly, and then he gets angry, and he decides to put on clown makeup and leather pants about it. Yep. <laughs> you ever been that angry before? You're just like, oh, I got dumped, son of a bitch. Trying to break out my mom's makeup and my dad's leather just pants. What? So mad I gotta put on leather pants and clown face. We've all been there at one point in our lives. Then you start listening to the doors. It's a slippery slope. <laughs> it goes downhill real fast. You're like, damn, people are strange. When you're a stranger. I, yeah, you're right. But then you also have that one episode of Friends where Ross is trying to impress the girl and he has the leather pants. 
he is just clown makeup and death away from being the crow at that point. The clown makeup part's arguable. I would love to see Ross <laughs> avenging anything at all. You just walk into like the bar, kick open the doors, and everyone's like, wait, I killed you. And he just goes, hi. <laughs> I love it. And then he starts shooting, probably. Just give me David Schwimmer as the new crow. Don't joke about that. It could happen. I know. Because there are multiple crow movies, and there's always a different lead. And I don't know why they thought that was a good idea. I don't know. They were trying to doctor who it or something. Maybe. <laughs> Guided by the crow, Eric sets out to avenge his and Shelley's murders. The first gang member he locates is Tintin, played by Lawrence Mason. I appreciate you not giving him a fucking. <laughs> He's a little over the top for a fucking. He's just a lot over the top. <laughs> He's obsessed with knives. So they do the knife fight thing in an alley. And Eric catches one of Tintin's knives and pins him to the wall with it. And then he's like, hey, what do you know about those murders a year ago? And he's like, I don't know nothing. Oh, wait, that girl we raped? Yeah, she liked it. Ha ha ha. And he's like, okay, I'm going to murder you. Not at all what you say when you have a weird clown goth guy run up to you singing Peace Frog. Like, just don't bring up the rape or anything. (laughs) Yeah, especially if he's got you pinned to a wall with one of your own knives. Not great. Decisions were made. Yeah, they were. And they were made poorly. Eric's got this trick that we kind of touched upon with the Cinema Cats thing, where when he touches somebody, he receives all of their memories. So he does that to Tintin. And he's like, all right, you're definitely the guy who did the thing. Right. I think I just did my girlfriend in third person. I don't know how. It's a weird way to do it. It is a weird way to do it. Like, I did it through you, Tintin, because I was doing your memory. What just happened? I've been dead for a year. I don't even know if this thing works. (laughs) And everything was red and blue and oversaturated. That was the most artistic sex I've ever had. (laughs) Hey, good production design on the sex, everyone. Good job. Good job. (laughs) I felt like I needed stereoscopic glasses for it. (laughs) It's unintentionally in 3D. So Eric finishes him off by stabbing him in each of his vital organs, apparently in alphabetical order, but I don't know how you're finding that out. Nope. No clue. Eric takes his trench coat and leaves a crow-shaped blood stain on the wall in the alley. Left the mark. Guy's got enough blood to make art on the wall. Fine. I want to know how he did it. It's not, it can't be his blood. It's got to be Tintin's blood because otherwise it just go right back into his own body. Except, and weird, he's just starting to draw it on the wall and just keep going back. He's like, ah, no one's ever going to see my art. <laughs> Cursed. Above a nightclub is the hideout of what appears to be the movie's James Franco-looking big bad. It's Top Dollar, played by Michael Wincott. Maybe Michael fucking Wincott? I'm giving it to him because his voice is so awesome. It's insane. And some of the choices he makes are just chef's kiss. They're the right amount of over the top, but then he also finds a weird amount of subtlety sometimes, too. Yeah. It works. I don't know how, but it does. I very much dig it. His lady friend slash stepsister... Micah? Mika? I don't know. It's Bai Ling. You might recognize her from Wild Wild West. You probably, I mean, if that's a movie that you're familiar with, you would probably recognize her. Her name is spelled like the dyslexic village people gave it to her. It's (laughs) M-Y-C-A. Guys, we're out of order for the song! M-Y-C-A. How do you, I don't know, is it Mika? Micah? They never say her name in the movie. So it's like a Euro trip situation. Exactly. Anyway, she's pretty obsessed with eyeballs and cutting them out and burning them and stuff. (laughs) As if it wasn't enough to just cut them out. 
Yeah, no. Sometimes you just got to go the extra mile. I have another actual IMDb trivia fact. Oh, my God. Okay. Oh, yeah. That's, Rapid fire on these. Wild. Top Dollar's nightclub was filmed in the abandoned cement factory called the Ideal Cement Factory in Castlehane, North Carolina. It was also used as the filming location for Shredder and the Foot Clan's hideout in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the movie, in 1990, and Super Mario Brothers. There's some history with this building, then. This building has seen some shit. <laughs> oh, my God. That is crazy. So far, this might be the best movie that was shot there. Yeah, I'd say. Eric goes and saves Sarah from getting run over in the street because she just skateboards in the street. But he hides his face from her because he's like, oh, she's going to know it's me. <laughs> is she going to know? You're dressed like a clown. She even says, like, what are you doing, man? You dressed up as a clown? And he's like, sometimes. What does that mean? You know what? That's a good way to bail on an answer, though. <laughs> is you just say something cryptic and confusing? Let her figure it out. Yeah. It's not your problem. She's like, well, feels more like surfing than skateboarding anyway. I just wish it would stop raining. And he says, can't rain all the time. And she's like, Eric? Because apparently that's like a line from one of his songs from when he was alive. And she's got one of those jump to conclusion mats. She sure does. She skates right on through it. I, I, you know what? This actually bugs me. Watching her skateboard. Was a skateboard that efficient a mode of transportation in like the 80s and 90s? Because I always feel like you're putting in so much work it seems to not like it, go yeah. very fast. And no matter what you're riding on, friction just takes over and you just slow right down. Right, right. There's no m maintaining momentum with a skateboard. Seems very inefficient. You're just always kicking. kicking always kicking. Kicking forever. My leg's getting tired thinking about it. Same. Just one. Yeah, right. And the other one's fine. The other ones couldn't be better. Using Tintin's memories, Eric goes to the pawn shop where Tintin sold Shelly's engagement ring. It's so much fun to just keep saying Tintin. It is pretty fun. I feel like we didn't take advantage of that enough in the Tintin episode we did. Well, no, because, I mean, that movie happened. <laughs> it sure and did. And we're just leaving it in the past. Eric forces the owner, Gideon, played by John fucking Polito. Yup. To show him where the ring is. And he finds it mixed in a box with a bunch of other rings. He lets Gideon live so that he can deliver a message of death to the rest of the gang before he douses the counters in gasoline, loads a shotgun with a bunch of engagement and wedding rings, fires and blows up the pawn shop. It's pretty badass. It's pretty awesome. Gideon barely escapes alive. But he has to because it's John fucking Polito. Exactly. And this movie's not going to rob us of that gold that he brings. Not for at least one more scene. Right. We'll get there. We will get there. After making his presence known to Officer Zedmore, Eric finds the next thug on his list, Fun Boy, played by Michael Massey. <laughs> All these names, man. They're insane. Tintin, Fun Boy, Skank, T-Bird. Fun Boy is getting high in an apartment with Sarah's mother, Darla, because, you know, let's just make sure everybody in this movie is connected to each other. We have to. There's just not a lot of people. Let's small world this thing. Fun Boy shoots Eric in his hand. And Eric pretends to scream in pain, and then he shows him the hole, and as it heals instantly, Fun Boy's like, oh, that's not fun. No, it's not, and I love Brandon Lee here, because he is screaming in pain, but then his back is to the character, Fun Boy, and he's facing the camera, and he has like this little bit of a smirk on. It's, it's like, so good. Oh, man, he's fucking with him so hard, and it's working, and I love it. It's fantastic. What a choice. Because Fun Boy's so freaked out, Eric easily disarms him. And then shoots him in the thigh before just injecting him with all of the morphine. Which, you know, that's kind of a nice thing to do. You got a gunshot in the leg, and you get all that morphine. You're like, oh, at least the gunshot doesn't hurt. That's this true. This is kind of a fucked up major pain situation, but 
What are you going to do? The leg doesn't hurt anymore. You know, six of one, half a dozen of the other. Exactly. Eric turns his attention to Darla and tells her that drugs are bad, okay? I like her reaction. She's like, okay. Andy tells her that she should take better care of her daughter, who is currently just out on the streets trying to get hit by cars. Listen, Darla, your kid can't even eat a hot dog, right? That's how shitty of a mother you're being. (laughs) Go watch your kid eat a hot dog like a fucking mongrel. You're going to turn it right around. This is your intervention right here. Watch your daughter eat a hot dog and realize how you failed as a parent. He also somehow magically makes all the morphine ooze out of her arms, and now she's just going to go be a good mom. Yep. She went, I don't even know. It's not even cold turkey. When the drugs are in you and then they're out of you, <laughs> it's not like, by choice, by mystical intervention. Instantly frozen turkey? What is that? I, I have no idea. It's goosey night. It is goosey night. <laughs> Magic happens on Goosey Night. I don't know if it is or not, though, because there's... We'll get there. We will get there. This movie is just nighttime, the movie, for the most part. Zedmore, meanwhile, has been following the deaths of the thugs around town, and he has a hunch that the guy going around killing all these guys is somehow Eric. And somehow. The guy who's dead. Everybody's like, somehow this him. has got to be the dead guy. It's everybody's first thought. It has to be the first thought. This is when he's in the police station, right? Yeah. So his boss comes up to me. He's like... Oh, God, there's been two murders in your territory tonight. And I'm sitting there thinking as, like, Zedmore, it's just like, how is that my my problem? <laughs> right. Like, I'm not the one doing it. That's only me. I can't patrol the whole, quote, unquote, territory. This isn't like a sales job where I'm supposed <laughs> to keep tabs on every little thing happening here. I want to talk to your manager. <laughs> my district manager? Because the district's not looking too good right now. Now, here's the thing. You're supposed to be killing it not letting other people kill other people. You need to get it together, Zedmore, or else we're going to have to really figure out your quarterly review. <laughs> Show us the numbers. Come up with a strategy and a plan. Or don't and just wait for Eric to show up at your apartment. Could do that too. Because he does. He just he goes sure and does. shows up at Zedmore's apartment. And I like how not freaked out Zedmore is. He's like, oh, you're just a guy who is in my apartment right now who's probably a dead guy. Neat. Yeah, no real reaction from him. Yeah, Eric explains to him what's going on and offers his best reason as to why he's come back to life. And Zedmore's like, here's everything I know about Shelly. You know, she got raped and then she died and I spent a lot of time with her in the hospital. And then Eric touches his head and downloads his memories. Or whatever, yeah. Yeah, he's like, oh, yeah, she suffered real bad for 30 hours, and I just felt all of that pain in a, in a hot second. Yep, all of that. All right, you do you, I guess. So thanks for hanging out with her while she was dying, I guess. <laughs> no one asked you to do that. Just want to let you know that, Zedmore. No one asked you to do that. <laughs> and that's why people are getting murdered like crazy in your territory. That's one reason. The other reason is that now this cop is just going to let this guy go who's been killing everybody around town. What's he going to do? You can't arrest a dead guy. That's true. I mean, actually, that's probably the one thing you could do. You could probably arrest him. You can't kill him, but you could probably arrest him. No, you can't him. kill him. But what are you going to do? The guy is just appearing and disappearing sometimes kind when of, it's yeah. convenient. Also complicated. We'll get there. But what's he going to do as the cop here? He just kind of has to listen to the weird clown man tell him all these stories. Well, I know you're dead, so this is weird for me. I guess just go. Just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, there's three more. There, I'll help you, I guess. <laughs> there's only two more now. Oh, that's right. <laughs> well, no, there are three if you count the big boss top dollar behind That he all. doesn't know about yet. That he has no clue about. 
it won't until it's time to kill him. Right. Until we need a reason to have a big bad all of a sudden. Yeah. So Gideon is brought in to see Top Dollar and warn him about Eric. And Top Dollar's like, thank you for the information, John Polito. I really appreciate it. Now I'm going to stab you through the throat with a sword. Yeah, that happens. I have another actual IMDb trivia Oh fact. my God. I'm pretty sure this is the last one, but I don't- That's not, not confident at all. I think it is. Go ahead. When Gideon is sitting at the bar after his shop is blown up, he can be seen drinking Crown Royal, a Canadian whiskey. That's it. That's it. Holy hell. IMDb, man. What are you supposed to even do with that? I don't, it's trivia. You're supposed to, I don't know, go to trivia. Just tri- accept it and move on. Go to trivia night and like, answer the question. that out, though? <laughs> if I ever go to bar trivia and the question is like, when Gideon is sitting at the bar after a shop is blown up in The Crow, what is he drinking? And what country is it from? I think they got really excited because the bottle is turned backwards. You only have the back of the bottle, like the label with yeah. the barcode. It doesn't have the actual name of what it is. And it's like, oh, thank God daddy was a drunk and I know exactly <laughs> what that is. Oh, I recognize the shape of that bottle from the amount of times it's been thrown at my head. <laughs> oh, God, I hope there's a rolling baseball bat. I'm able to pick that out, too, from all the times daddy tried to hit me. <laughs> uh, an IMDb trivia fact. The belt that Eric Draven wears in this is from Dockers. Oh, how about that? (laughs) Thanks again, Dad. Eric decides to take a break from all this vengeance and do some rooftop guitar playing. Right, because he stole a guitar from the pawn shop before he blew it up. Yep. So now we're just going to go to the roofs and and play for a little bit. (laughs) You're going to shred some 90s chords up there. And he weirdly has an amplifier on the roof also. I don't know how that all works out. Well, you can't just steal a guitar because then you can't. You gotta have to. Gonna have to steal an amp too, so you can listen. But then to he's also gonna have to steal out. like an extension cord because he's like, I'm not just gonna play this in my burned out apartment like an <laughs> idiot. I'm a ghost clown. I'm going to the roof. No way they still have electricity either. <laughs> There's no way. I still don't know how the cat's alive. No clue. We'll get there. T Bird, played by David Patrick Kelly. And named for his favorite kind of car. Can you guess what it is? I bet it's a T-Bird. It's absolutely a T-Bird. The car you love so much you name yourself after it. He's hanging out with Skank, who's played by Angel David. And they stop at a convenience store to load up on supplies. And while Skank is inside, Eric sneaks up behind T-Bird in the T-Bird. And he pulls out a gun. And he's like, hey, drive. Where? Around the Just city. generally drive. Going 100 for reasons. I don't understand this. Skank runs out into the street, gets hit by a car, and then steals it. As you do. As you do. And he's going to follow, you know, T-Bird and Eric, because he's like, hey, there's a guy in that car that's not me, with a gun to my boss's face. I'll follow them. They're going 100. I'm in this little rinky-dink going 30. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'll catch them at some point. Pretty sure it's a Yugo, and he's chasing a car going 100. I love it. Good luck. The police get involved in the chase, ultimately crashing into Skank. Because of course, it's where all roads lead, right? Eric ties T-Bird to the driver's seat of the T-Bird with explosives strapped to him, and he sends the car driving off a pier where it explodes midair and sinks into the harbor. Oh God, I love it so much too because he starts taping him to the driver's seat of this thing, and I like how T-Bird starts to realize, like, no, 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 hold on, hold on, you're dead. Wait, I know you. I knew I knew you. This is the really real world, is something he says. And then he starts to freak out when he recognizes, like, 
okay, dead guy, vengeance. I know how this story plays out. I'm about to go off of this pier into that water. Yeah. And that's when he gives him the grenade. <laughs> and it gets like, okay, you just escalated this situation. Oh, crap. So not only worse. is he driving in off the pier, he's also exploding in midair. And it's fantastic. It's so good. And then just for added measure, he leaves a giant flaming crow at the scene. Yeah. I like how he like is spraying all the gasoline in yeah. the crow shape. And he's just like, come on, baby, light my fire. Ah, uh, there it is. There it is. Because he's listening to the doors. Because he's goth. Because he's obsessed with death. That's right. (laughs) And this is where things get confusing for me. Oh, now they do? Yeah, because Darla tries to reconcile with Sarah by making her breakfast. Yeah. That tells me we're daytime now. It should be Halloween day. We're morning time, at the very least. We should. So we're Halloween morning. It should be. In, In theory, if we are going from Devil's Night to a year later to the next day, it should be Halloween. Right. But I like the way this scene's handled, too, because... Darla's making the breakfast, and Sarah's just being an asshole to her mom. Yeah. And her mom's actually trying, and she calls her mom Darla. And the mom's just like, all right, fuck you, kid. Go eat a hot dog <laughs> like a little asshole. And I really like how Sarah like snaps up, and she's like, no, 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 no. I like them over easy. I see that you're trying. This nah. is a good reconciliation moment here. I've never heard anybody ask the question, how do you like your eggs, over or up? I've never heard that either. They're a happy family now. They've bonded over eggs. Yeah, we, we're making eggs. Well, I'm going to stop making eggs. Then I'm going to flip them, not continue cooking them. And then exactly. now, we're, now we're all happy-go-lucky. I'm going to teach you how to eat a hot dog next. <laughs> that would have been a great post credit scene. <laughs> <laughs> While this is happening, Zedmore Superior is chewing him out for reasons, and he suspends him for misconduct. Again, for reasons. For reasons. Ah, there's another murder in your territory. You're, that's it. You're... Not going to be able to fight crime anymore, so it's probably going to get worse. Probably. You just took the one person off the street who might stop it, hasn't admittedly. We'll give him that. (laughs) But he might. But he's the guy there to do it, and now you're going to take him away. What do you think is going to happen in that territory? I just love how Zedmore's playing the long game here. Oh, yeah. He's just like, yeah, I'll let the ghost boy kill everybody. There's going to be no crime after that. I'm going to be a hero. Exactly. It's pretty smart. Perfect. Sarah goes to Eric's apartment to talk to him. Even though she can't see him there, she's pretty sure that he's got to be there. So she walks around just talking to the air and like she sees the cat. She's like, oh, shit, you're alive. I love how she calls out the cat. Like, I thought you were dead. Are you sure you're not dead, cat? I love it. I'm sure Cinnamon Cat's got something to say about that, too. Never ask a cat if it's dead or alive. It's an existential question. It's going to start freaking out. (laughs) Uh, You should be writing some final musings. Cat's just going to have an identity crisis there on the floor. Jump out the window. <laughs> Come back as four different superheroes. Spider-Man identity crisis. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> Cash just got too many lives. Doesn't know what to do with them all. That's fair. It's not sure who it's supposed to be. And she's asking if dead or alive. I don't know. No one's fed me in a year. <laughs> I don't know how this coat looks this good. I keep dying and a crow keeps knocking on my gravestone. I keep coming back. So Sarah tells Eric, or the perceived lack of Eric... That she misses him and she gets no response. So she does the same thing she did to her mom and just says, fuck it. Fine. I'm out of here. And I like how then you have like a shadow Eric on the wall and it's now he's standing like in the broken window all dramatically. It's like you could just appear and reappear. What are your powers, Eric? I I do not just stealthy. Fair enough. I think he just shows (laughs) up in the light when he needs to. All right. His powers get confusing. (laughs) They absolutely do. 
as she's leaving, she says, I didn't think you'd care anymore anyway. And he's like, hey, I'm here. Do care about you, but we can't be friends anymore because I'm a dead person. It's pretty reasonable when you think about it. Yeah. She doesn't seem to mind either. She gets her hug. She's like, all right, I'm going to fuck off then. Yeah. I'm going to go learn how to eat a hot dog. Yeah. Good luck avenging. Have fun killing all your foes. I hope you finish your unfinished business. So now we're, we're, we're ramping up to the end of the movie. So we got to quickly recap where everybody is. Skank retreats to the gang hideout, rambling wildly about Eric. Sarah and Zedmore bond over their mutual experiences with Eric and discuss how he came back uh, over more hot dogs, I think. I can't remember. I can't remember either. And Eric takes another rooftop guitar solo break. Yeah, we pretty much just summed up everything we've seen so far, but just did it really, really fast. It's a good way to set up the third act in a way. Yeah. It makes it feel like a musical where the, like, you know, you have the two acts in a musical where you get to like that intermission. Yeah. And like you build to that big moment right before you take the break. And then when it comes back, it seems a little too short, the whole second act part of it. And you're just like, wait, well, hold on a second. That first <laughs> that act was it? a hell of a lot longer. <laughs> it's like, that's what's happening right now. That's exactly what's happening. So back at the gang hideout, top dollar, he's hardly concerned about the death of T-Bird. He's like, I don't give a shit at all. I've got more important things to worry about, like the criminal activity that we're going to do on Devil's Night. Wait, what? We're back to Devil's Night somehow? What day Maybe. is it? I don't know. I'm just assuming there was like a leap year. So like you bought yourself an extra day, really. They should have explained that. that less confusing. Oh, you just want everyone to hold your hand through the movie, Brian. They should have said 364 days later instead of a year later. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it would have been great if like the subtitle said, one year later, but it was also a leap year. So that's why it's going to be Devil's Night tomorrow. So <laughs> happy October 29th, audience. All of that written out. Yeah, exactly. That was it's a long subtitle, caption, whatever you call it. But, but it's important. It's important to know. It really they, helps they need set to do the their scene. due diligence. <laughs> Eric crashes the meeting looking for Skank, which is still just a great name. It is. And I love the way that he crashes the meeting because they're talking about a ghost man. And then Ghostman shows up. He's like, who, me? And I like how he takes the chair at the end of the table. Oh. And he throws the chair and then just in one motion just jumps onto the table, sits cross-legged. It's so like, good. What a badass move. It is absolutely insane. And it's like, Heath Ledger got some, some inspiration from Brandon Lee here. Just a lot. Just a ton. And it's crazy, though, because Michael Wincott owns the scene. Absolutely. He's got an unbelievable voice. He looks like a vampire man because he's got a vest and long hair. He does. But Brandon Lee jumps on this table and just sits there and completely takes over. You're like, oh, this guy's in control here. And what's even better than that is Michael Wincott is playing off of him now, too. It's like the dynamic is yeah. amazing. Yeah, it's, it's just so good. So, so good. Eric goes and mocks everyone in the room. So Top Dollar's like, I've had enough of this. Kill him. So everybody's opening fire on Eric, and obviously it's going to force him to fall off the conference room table. You have that nice quiet moment where the one guy gets up to go see the dead body, and he's like, uh, he, he, he gone. <laughs> uh, he's, he's not here. Uh, he should be here, right? When you shoot somebody, they should stay, they should remain stationary after that. Unless it's like a video game and like, he spawned somewhere else. Oh, that's it. Just to respawn. They didn't consider that. People rarely do. <laughs> So what they needed to explain further in the subtitle is dot, dot, dot. <laughs> there's going to be a moment coming up where the lead character, quote unquote, dies. He will respawn somewhere else. Don't worry. He's fine. Dot, dot, dot. 
Sorry, spoilers. <laughs> this is a hell of a subtitle. I love it. It is. When he shows back up, a huge gunfight ensues. Top Dollar escapes with Mika and his Lieutenant Grange, who's played by Tony fucking Todd. Yeah, man. I was so happy when I saw him. I love Tony Todd. He's the absolute best in everything he does. Just so good. But isn't even Tony Todd all over the screen in this movie? He doesn't. He's actually very subdued in this one. Which I didn't care for, but at the same time, it is still Tony Todd. Didn't know he was capable, and I was kind of like, ooh, a new side to Tony Todd. <laughs> Learning all sorts of new things today. So he can act. How about that? <laughs> he isn't just having a blast all the time. Sometimes he's doing work. Oh, uh, you know underneath it, he's still having a blast. Oh, always. Eric easily kills everyone in the room by guns and fists and swords. It's amazing. He saves Skank for last. He does. And this whole scene is just absolutely amazing. It's so good. He takes Skank and he just throws him out the window. Yeah, problem solved. Yeah. Got rid of him. Checks out. But Brandon Lee gets to show off all of his martial arts training that he has and how much of an action star he absolutely would have grown up to be. 100%. He's incredible. Like, there's just nothing else to say about it is that he's just absolutely incredible to watch. full stop. There's very little that we've watched recently that's as entertaining as this scene. Completely agree. After Eric throws Skank out the window, there's a problem. The police are there, and Eric is the only one that they see. So they're like, that's the guy. We got to get him. So he's, now he's running from police helicopters. But luckily, Zedmore, now on suspension, pulls up in his car. And he's like, hey, get in here. We're going to escape together. So I guess Zedmore is just helping, off-duty helping in yeah. his territory well, that he, he's not supposed to be working in. He's like, I'm finally going to stop crime somehow. And by helping the guy killing everybody. He drives him like two blocks, and then Eric disappears. He's like, <laughs> good enough. Should have seen that coming. <laughs> So Top Dollar, Grange, and Micah discuss Eric and his unique abilities. And Micah somehow knows. Mika? I keep doing it. YMCA reveals that Eric is invulnerable to harm, but only if his link to the real world, the crow, remains untouched. How she knows that, we never find out. No clue at all. I like how it's like, oh, yeah, that must be it. Oh, she burns people's eyeballs. She probably knows. Right? <laughs> Character development. (laughs) So they're like, all right, we kill the crow, then we can kill Eric. Awesome, let's do that. But having killed the last of the four who had murdered him and Shelly, Eric is content to just go back to the gravesite and, you know, rebury himself or whatever. That's so bizarre to even think about. Like, does Brandon Lee just, like, lie down, just, like, shoveling dirt, like, with his fists on himself? I don't know. This is going to take some time. Uh, you might want to go show something else in this movie. Come back a little later. Well, while I'm just shoveling this dirt on myself. I'm done getting my vengeance. Guess it's time to go take my dirt nap. <laughs> I don't know. But when he gets there, Sarah is waiting to say goodbye. And he gives her Shelly's engagement ring as a necklace. And she says, quote, I'll never take it off. Which means, wait a scene. It's absolutely coming off shortly. Sarah leaves the cemetery because she got to say goodbye to her friend. Only to be immediately abducted by Grange and taken to the church where Top Dollar and Mika are hiding out. Now, this felt like it was just like circumstantial kidnapping. Oh, like they yeah. just happened to see a girl there like, get her. And then they found out, oh, there's a connection somehow. Surely the guy that's killing everybody is going to want her safe. So let's, let's take her. This is Top Dollar. I got an idea. This is a small world. So if I just kidnap anybody off the street, they're probably connected somehow within this movie. <laughs> 100%. You see that, Mika? I can jump to conclusions, too. 
and I didn't have to burn any eyeballs. You don't have to do it. That's just your thing. She's like, you probably would have gotten to that conclusion sooner if you had, though. <laughs> probably right. I'm so sorry for kink-shaming you, Mika. That's not what my character's about. It's called foresight because you have to burn two eyeballs to get it. Wouldn't it would be foresight if they had glasses and they were a nerd and you burn those eyeballs? Well, no, because that would be six sight because you still have your own two. So how many eyeballs are getting burned in this scenario? I think just I'm two. I'm getting confused. Just two eyeballs are getting burned. Okay, so, so Brian, yeah. I'm looking at you right now. Right. I just go, pop off your eyeballs. Yeah. They're, they're mine now in my hands. And then I just light them on fire. Your eyes are now burned. Bam, and you have foresight. But here's the thing, is that you're wearing glasses. Oh, so you have while s- we do this. So, six sight. Wait, you're wearing so glasses you count too. my eyes. That could be eight sight. You know what? I completely forgot I was wearing glasses as we're doing this. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of sight, man. That's, we could have uh, figured this movie out before it started in a way. We could have. With, with all that sight. We could have just listened to whatever Sarah said at the top of the narration. That's it. It's the whole movie, realistically. <laughs> oh, also, they steal the ring from her immediately. Immediately. It's like, the, like what's this? Yoink. What's the last word you said? She said, that I'll never take this. Okay, we're taking that. This movie's sprinting. Oh, yeah. Through the crow, Eric sees that Sarah is in danger, and he goes to rescue her. <laughs> Another power that is now discovered. He's got crow sight. So if you take the crow's eyes oh, yeah. and light those on fire, what actually happens then? I don't know, but Eric has foresight by default because he's got the, the crow eyes. Right. Okay. <laughs> we might need to jump ship on this one. This is so complicated. <laughs> It doesn't need to be. We're making it. We are I absolutely that. doing that to ourselves. The crow flies inside ahead of him, but is immediately sniped by Tony Todd. It's just not having a good day, that crow. It's not, but the crow like has always been a little bit hidden, sort of like landing in the yeah. outskirts of the scene. And this one, it's just like front pew of this church is lands. It's like, <laughs> of course you're going to get sniped, bird. Crow's going in guns blazing, but doesn't have a gun. Nope, because he's a bird. He's a bird. He's a raven. Actually, I apologize, but for what it's worth, if he wants to sue Tony Todd, I know a good bird lawyer. <laughs> bird law. It's the best kind of law. It absolutely is. Eric, not realizing what wounding the crow has done to his own invulnerability, attacks Top Dollar, telling him he'll let him live if he gives him Sarah. And I love like the bravado that Eric Draven walks in with. He's like, you can't hurt me, bud. Right. I got crow power. <laughs> um. Have you seen me? Have you seen what I've been doing out there? Just killing people, getting shot, bullet holes closing up on their own? Go ahead. Your move. So Top Dollar shoots Eric, and guess what? Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) He is hit. (laughs) Right in the shoulder. He's like, that smarts. Uh Uh-huh. That's not what I thought would happen. So Top Dollar takes Sarah up to the roof of the church. As you do. Now, we mentioned that this is a very small town, presumably. Yep. It's going to get a whole lot smaller right now because Zedmore shows up. He does. conveniently gone to this church to pay his respects to Eric. <laughs> Realizes what's happening. He comes in guns blazing. It's amazing to see just how it all comes together. And you know what? It doesn't even feel that crazy because I feel like it's so established that this is such a small movie. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, yeah, that makes sense that he would come here now. Oh, yeah. I know. I was wondering where he was, actually. This is This is perfect. He finds Eric on the floor, and he helps him toward the staircase. Oh, it's my favorite conversation of the movie. <laughs> Brandon Lee just kills it here, because Zedmore looks at him, and he's just like, wait, I thought you couldn't get hurt. And I love Brandon Lee. He's like, well, 
Apparently, I can now. <laughs> can we move on? Skyrim. Like, we've, we've, established we've established that I'm hurt. I, I'm hurt. You see the bullet? Yeah, my power's clearly over. The bird's dead, except it's not. It's yeah, not. that's confusing, too. <laughs> the, bird's, the bird's hurt, so I can get hurt. <laughs> I think that's the rule. <laughs> not important? No, nah, it's not important. All right, let's move on. We're doing great. The wounded crow is picked up by Mika who's hoping to harness its mystical powers, but instead it harnesses her fucking eyeballs. It sure does. This bird pecks the shit out of her eyeballs. Oh, the crow steals her eyes. It's great. It is amazing. He's got to have some like 16 sight now. Oh, I don't even know what it would be. I feel like the burned eyeballs compound, right? They have to. It's like a math equation that I can't do. Yeah, yeah. It's exponents. Or common core. You pick. Zedmore manages to shoot and kill Grange, but in their shootout, he gets shot too. So now everybody's been shot. Everybody's been shot. Everyone's on an equal playing field, except sort of Brandon, because, you know, dead already. Right. He's already dead. Top Dollar hasn't been shot. So that's fair, actually. He's got the upper hand. But he looks like a vampire. He looks like a James Franco vampire. It has nothing to do with anything. I just like to point out that he looks like a vampire. He absolutely does. You are not wrong. Zedmore stays below, and Eric ascends to the roof where Top Dollar's holding Sarah. And he just pushes her off the roof, but she manages to grab hold of something. And we're going to discuss this later, because there's a part here that drives me crazy at the end of the movie. But, is there? I'm yeah. like curious what it is now. Oh, uh, it's fantastic. You'll see. All right. <laughs> she's holding on to the roof, and like the roof gives, and now she's hanging. She's like dangling over the roof. Fine. She's in peril. Sure. And this distracts Eric long enough for him to get stabbed by Top Dollar. Gets run through. Just, that's not what you want. Because Top Dollar just carries a big old sword with him all over the place. I mean, when you're that badass of a big bad criminal, I guess you just get to do that. It's really, really cool. It's awesome. (laughs) I love it. I hope to one day have the clout that I can just walk around with a sword and nobody goes, why does that guy have a sword? They just know. They'll know. They'll know what you've done. Be like, man, that guy's probably seen some shit. Anybody who carries around a sword in the mid-90s has to have seen some shit. Just walking around the streets of... This is supposed to be Detroit. Right. should say that. Right. Walking around the streets of Detroit, dressed like a vampire, listening to the doors with a sword on your back. <laughs> Don't even bother approaching that guy. You will die. It's just a recipe for disaster. Top Dollar admits to Eric that he was responsible for he and Shelley's deaths because nothing happens in this city without his say-so. This very small city. Exactly. He's in control of all of it, and that just makes Eric real mad because he thought he was done with his vengeance, but it turns out he's got one more venge to ence. <laughs> That's a wonderful way of putting it. Before Top Dollar can finish him off, Eric grabs him. He's like, come on, come on, come on, come on, and touch me, babe. And now he's like, don't call me babe, bro. It's too late. I already said it. I already doorsed you. Yeah, and he transfers, right. <laughs> transfers to him. All 30 hours of pain that Shelly had to endure at once. And that's every time going to make you fall off the roof and get impaled by a gargoyle. But I like when he gets impaled by this gargoyle. It's not so much that he bleeds as much as there's like just a river of blood pouring out of him. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It is so much blood. You don't see much of it. You just see it like the bottom of the screen and it is just pouring. It's like a faucet was turned on and just blasting out blood. Yeah, like this gargoyle was already some sort of like fountain gutter system just spitting out water because it's raining the entire movie. It sure is. 
But now that there's a man on top of it, it's just spewing blood. And it's great. It is great. What's not great? Eric goes to rescue Sarah, and all he does is just slide farther down the roof to a platform. Yeah. She was safe the whole time. The whole time. The entire time. She did not have to struggle. She could have just like been like, oh, hey, I'm down here on the roof now. Yeah, but how is she supposed to know that? She's hanging on for dear life. She's not looking below yeah, her. I She's don't trying know. to pull herself back up. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's a little silly. <laughs> Fine. He brings her to Zedmore, and then he just disappears. And Zedmore's like, yeah, he does that. <laughs> That's very, very Batman. <laughs> he crawls over to Shelly's grave, and then her spirit comes to him, and they are finally reunited. And the hole's just filled in again, and presumably he's in there. Presumably, yeah. He's just, oh, he doesn't have the, the makeup on anymore either when she visits him. So I assume it's their spirits. It's not actually his dead body that after a year would be pretty gross anyway, but. It would be nasty. Later, Sarah visits Eric's grave, which has been closed up again. And the crow stands on his headstone still. I don't know, like maybe he might have one more venge to ends. I don't know what it possibly could be. I don't know. It's hanging like, out. His business is finished. Maybe he just knew Sarah was going to be there because he's still got that ring. The crow's got the ring now. He's like, hey, Sarah, this is yours. And he, he gives it to Sarah. And she's like, oh, good. I'll never take it off again. <laughs> oh, my God. As the crow flies into the night, Sarah narrates that though buildings burn and people die, real love is forever. And that is The Crow from 1994, directed by Alex fucking Proyas. I loved this movie. It's so fun, and it's so just unexpected, I think, is the word I'm looking for. It, I didn't expect anything that it did. I completely agree, and I know that this, again, movie has such a dark cloud that hangs over it Yeah, from the production that I just never thought it would be any good. And then actually watching, I'm like, no, this is extremely good. This is proper good, yeah. And I, that's the whole reason that Alex Proyas wanted to actually finish the movie after the whole accident. Is He's like, no, people need to see this performance because Brandon Lee slays it. So we should probably talk about that dark cloud at some point, huh? It feels appropriate. Again, Brandon Lee died while making this film. This was one of the larger tragedies that's ever occurred on set. Yeah. And I think it was because of his dad, Bruce Lee, dying at 32 due to a mysterious accident as well. Uh, there's a whole big conspiracy theory there's, about that. Of yeah. How it might might have been like the triad getting back at him because movie studios right. overseas. And there's a whole weird theory about all that there's stuff. There's a whole that, bunch of backstory stuff, yeah. Yeah, that managed to make its way into this movie also. So what happened was in the scene where Eric comes home and Shelly's getting raped, Fun Boy, played by Michael Massey, is supposed to shoot Eric in the movie. Right. And kill him. So what happened was on set, Michael Massey is ha using a revolver. That's very, very, very important to note. So a revolver, the difference between that and like a, a pistol that has a magazine that goes like a clip that goes into the gun mm -hmm. is in a revolver. You see the bullets, right? They're in the cylinder of it. So on a movie, they're going to put dummy bullets into there to make it look like there's actually six bullets in there or eight bullets in there, whatever it might be, whatever type of shooter it is. Right. So they did that for the close-ups of it. That's all fine and dandy. What's not fine and dandy is that whoever put those dummy bullets in left the primers on. Which is not they what you want They took the powder to. out, left the primers on. When it comes to ammunition, there are certain components. You have the casing of it. Inside the casing, you have the powder. At the base of it, where the hammer actually hits the casing, that's where the primer is. And then at the top of it is the actual bullet. That's right. what gets projected. That's the why slug. the cartridge goes flying out. So what happened was... 
is when the gun was dry fired with the primer in, it released the bullet into the barrel of the gun and it got lodged in there. Bullets are a softer metal. Inside the barrel, it's actually bored out. So it, there's actually like little tracks in there so that when the bullet comes out, it's actually rotating, like spinning. Right. As it's, it goes towards the target. It's got like a spiral pattern that exactly. is often used in the James Bond movies as a graphic. It absolutely is. So when they actually went to do the shooting part of it, they changed out the dummy bullets and put in blanks. Blanks do not have a bullet. Right. They do have powder and they do have a primer, so it actually still makes the gun shot. Right, it makes a bang. This is not Hollywood magic by any means, because usually what they do is they're going to stuff like paper into where they remove the bullet from. Yeah. The problem is, is that when this is fired, when they put the actual blank into it, it's a loaded gun at this point. Right. And it, it's considered a loaded gun even without a randomly dislodged bullet. It's a loaded gun whenever a blank's in there, no matter what it is. But when the blank is fired, it still will have enough force to, to clear the projectile chamber. out if it's in there, to clear the chamber. That's exactly what happened, and it hit Brandon Lee. And Brandon Lee dropped, because this was done while they were filming. Right. He dropped. No one knew anything was up until they called cut, and he still didn't move. Right. He was supposed to fall forward in the scene, and he fell backwards. So director called cut, thinking, oh, he just tried something different, and then he did not get up. He did not get up. He got rushed to the hospital. He did not make it. Simple as that. Right. Michael Massey. Gets all sorts of fucked up, goes into like seclusion for a full month after this thing. Not sure how to even react to this. Yeah. And we're going to get to the thing that's on everyone else's mind in a second. The more recent one. Right. But from this, you now have uh, your lead actor has been killed on set. doesn't matter if it's even your lead. Just someone has been killed on set in an accident like this. Something that could be avoided. Right. There's been so many changes on set for safety involving gunplay. And gunplay is no joke at all. I've been on... So many sets where there's been gunplay, and you have so many safety meetings, it takes so long to put together because of the steps that need to be taken in order to do it safely. So what happens is that there's an armorer on set. It could be a guy who specifically does guns as props mm -hmm. who will bring his gun cart there. Uh, he's the one who's going to go through the entire gun, open and close it, take the whole thing apart, see, make sure all the chambers are empty at all times, and he is the one who... Gives the all clear for the director or the assistant director to give it to the lead character, or he can give it himself to the lead character. Right. They're going to call out cold gun because that gun is deactivated. If it's a hot gun or a live gun, that means that there's a blank in it. It will go off. But on a set, in a movie, those guns are actually firing. They're real guns. They are real guns. They're really firing. It is extremely loud to the point that when I did locations, I'd have to go in a neighborhood to like a certain radius in order to tell like people, like, this isn't real gunfire. This is just a movie we're making. Wow. This isn't real. Calm down. It's really, really loud. It's real. It's real gunfire. Right. So going forward from there, it seems kind of appropriate to talk about what just happened with Alec Baldwin. Yeah. Movie called Rust being made as of today, the day we're recording this thing, the incident happened yesterday. Right. So we have some ideas of what actually happened on that set. They were cutting corners. They were really cheaping out on the production, really screwing over their crew. Right. Really trying to rush through this thing. Uh, an AD grabbed a gun off of the armorer's cart, called out cold gun, gave it to Alec Baldwin. Wasn't a cold gun. Had live ammo in it. That's, yeah. Alec Baldwin, rehearsing, pulls the trigger, goes through the director's shoulder into the DP's chest, and she unfortunately dies. In 2021, that could still happen. Yeah. Not 1994, 2021. And now, of course, 
Brandon Lee's name is getting brought up again, and everyone's asking, how the fuck does something like this happen? Right. Again, still, how have we not gotten more safety around this to the point where this doesn't happen? I don't know what steps can be taken after this, except do it in post. Yeah, but there's a lot of people that are going to argue that you can't get realistic reactions to the weight of the gun and the recoil without having it actually fire. All right, so I've then have better actors it. and do it in post. Have better act. I like that. That's as simple as that. Yeah, because realistically, they want the muzzle flare to be captured on camera to make it look realistic and get the reaction from the actor, right? And have the muzzle flare light kind of go on to the actor as well, right? But the way that cameras work is that the shutter doesn't always pick up the muzzle flare even. So they, what's the point? They of have even to doing add it this? anyway in post. Exactly. So what's the point of even doing this? Exactly. The safest way to do this is just do it in post. Realistically, what we're talking about is making pretend. Exactly. No one's lives should be put on the line for going to work to make pretend to entertain people. That's 100% right. And the fact that we're still doing blanks, which is proper bullets, that are just, the bullet is removed. It's proper ammunition where the bullet is removed. That shouldn't have to be a thing. And there have been incidents in the past where even a blank has killed somebody. Because if you go back to 1984, John Eric Hexum was fucking around with a prop gun that had blanks in it, and he was kind of doing a Russian roulette thing while he wasn't filming, and he put the gun to his head and fired, and the blank shattered his skull, and he died. Yeah. Because that's how much force is coming from a blank. Right, and that is kind of the nexus of where all these gun rules came from that were in effect even during the Crow. 1984, we're talking about. At the end of the day, uh, for our entertainment it's not worth putting people's lives in danger it's not at all you shouldn't have to go to work and be afraid of not coming home because you're making pretend with gunplay right at work right. that day and unfortunately we lost brandon lee unfortunately we lost helena hutchins the dp from rust right unfortunately we've lost john eric hexham all because you have just negligence yeah going on in these sets and i take it so fucking personally just from being on all these sets you Become a family whenever you're doing a movie because you're stuck with these people 14 hours a day. I can't imagine being on that set of Rust or being on the set of The Crow. I've seen actors who've just tripped and it's a huge issue. Yeah. Like turning their ankle or something like that, and that's enough to shut down a day of production. I can't imagine a death actually occurring for someone that you're with all these hours of the day. Like, it just doesn't make sense to me that this could even be a thing. This isn't fathomable. And you have all these bullshit producers. If you want to go watch a video, look out what Alec Baldwin put out the day before the shooting actually occurred. Yeah. How he's saying, IATSE, who is one of the biggest unions in film and entertainment, he says they should go on strike. These producers are treating them like shit for all these unsafe work conditions. Right. I understand I'm on a soapbox right now. I don't give an absolute fuck about this. <laughs> I have so many friends who are still doing this who are afraid to go to set. Yeah. And that should never have to happen. No. It, it needs to be a safer environment. And a better working environment. And you need to have producers who give a damn and don't just care about making a dollar. Right. You need to have these creative people who give a damn and don't just bow down to making a buck in the box office to make their boss happy so they can have a career. Right. And it's unfortunate that in this movie, 28-year-old Brandon Lee puts on a performance for the ages. Absolutely. And it has to have this dark cloud over it for forever now. Yeah. Yeah, 28 years old, he had a hell of a career ahead of him. I'm sorry to soapbox, it's just something I take really passionately, is just keeping my friends safe while they try to entertain you. Right. Because filmmaking is hard. I understand people like what they like. 
it's so easy to shit all over a bad movie and it's so easy to praise a good movie. The same amount of love and care and time goes into either. And you shouldn't have to put your life on the line to make either. Right. Doesn't matter what you're doing. There's people behind these things. Shit all over it all you want. I've been on bad movies. I've been on bad TV shows. You know when you're making one. <laughs> Trust me on that one. They, If you go up to somebody on the crew, like the gaffer, and say, like, that movie's shit, he'll be like, I know, but it cashed the check. I got to feed my family for those few months. Right. They don't care for the most part. But maybe it is time that people start thinking about the people who are actually making this. When those credits run, that's a year of those people's lives. Yeah. To try to entertain you or unfortunately putting their lives on the line all of a sudden and this is not like a frontline job right <laughs> this is to get a few ha-has out of you sometimes it could be to get some sort of emotional experience out of you just to entertain you get you out of your real world escapism yes it shouldn't have to be this way i completely agree i don't have a segue brian i'm just gonna ask you rotten tomatoes one to 100 what are you thinking 80 83 nice so that's actually really really high Audience scores 90%. That's even higher. Wow. And that's where it should be. Absolutely. Roger Ebert saw this movie. He gave it a 3.5 out of 4. Nice. He says, The Crow is, of course, the movie Brandon Lee was making when he was accidentally shot dead during the filming of a scene. It is not without irony that the story involves a hero who returns from the dead, just as, in a sense, Lee has with the release of this film. It is a stunning work of visual style, the best version of a comic book universe I've seen. And Brandon Lee clearly demonstrates in it that he might have become an action star had he lived. Easily. He goes on to say the story exists as an excuse for the production values of the film, which are superb. The director, Alex Proyas, and his technical team have created a world that will remind you of the forlorn urban wasteland in Blade Runner and of the gothic extravagances in Batman. Yet this world is more grungier and more forbidding than either. It's not often that movies can use miniatures and special effects and sets and visual tricks to create a convincing place, rather than just a series of obvious sets. But The Crow does. Maybe I'm looking at it through 2021 eyes. <laughs> but... It's possible, and he wrote this right after the release, and I understand he's probably wanting to speak a bit more highly than he might yeah. because of the situations involved with this movie. Uh, I think it looks Great. It looks fantastic, but I don't know about the whole world building bit of it. It's a city builder, if nothing else. It's very small. It's very, very small. It's and it looks very great, small. but it's very small. <laughs> he ends by talking about Bruce Lee and his career getting cut down when he was 32. And he says of Bruce Lee and Brandon Lee, both careers seemed cut short just as early potential was being realized. There was talk of shelving the crow, but I'm glad they didn't at least what Brandon Lee accomplished in a film that looks to have been hard, dedicated labor has been preserved. Yeah. And that I feel like is one of the biggest compliments you can give it is you have legacy behind this thing now. Oh, absolutely. Is that this just isn't a forgotten actor who just did a movie and then he was gone and no one really cared. It's you preserve a performance here and it's performance that should get talked about still to this day. And it does. Yeah. Um, they've been trying to remake this movie for probably 10 years now. And every time talks come up again, Alex Proyas is like, I don't want them to remake this movie, not because of any kind of personal feelings I have towards, you know, this is my baby or whatever, but because this is Brandon Lee's legacy at this point. And any other actor who takes it on, if, they, if they're just doing a soft reboot or whatever, all you're doing is besmirching what he's already done. 
I completely agree. And that's a big issue I have with a lot of remakes that get made. I appreciate when they contemporize something. Like when you had like the Manchurian Candidate, they kind of brought that into the future a little bit, which yeah. is kind of a neat thing. But you are talking about legacies here. You are talking about preserving these actors' performances. Yeah. You're like capturing a snapshot in time whenever you make a movie for the most part. This movie captures 1993 when it was filmed so perfectly. Yeah, it does. And on top of that, you have this legendary performance that happens to be his last. Right. This movie should never be remade. No, no. You should keep making sequels of it if you want to try that. Exactly. And have other actors take a turn at what they think this character should be, in a way. Yeah. It's kind of like the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. He's Ledger's last movie. Right. How they ended up just recasting different actors to portray different versions of the same character, and it worked out in a weird, neat way Yeah, to tell the story. But you're preserving an actor's performance, right. and that's just as important. Absolutely. That's why, I, yeah, I, I agree. Make any sequels you want of The Crow. If you have to reboot it, sure, but there's no more Eric Draven story to be told. No, there doesn't need to be. It's been told, and it's been told perfectly. Exactly. On Letterboxd, people adore this movie. Good. And what's crazy is that after the whole Alec Baldwin situation, a lot of people have actually been going back and watching that movie already. Wow. And there's also a lot of people discovering it for the first time. Sure. Which is kind of a neat thing, too. Unfortunately, it took a tragedy for them to do that, but everyone comes to kind of terms with a tragedy like this in their own way. Let them discover this. That's fine. Right, right. The first one I have says... This film says it can't rain all the time, even though it actually rains all the time in it. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> That's 100% accurate. The this entire movie. nothing movie. but rain. <laughs> and the you know, whole line from this thing is it doesn't rain all the time. I got so used to the rain being there that I just kind of tuned it out. The last scene very well could have been sunny and I would not have noticed. Would have no clue. From October 22nd, 2021... Sick as fuck and so romantic, I hope my boyfriend resurrects to avenge me after we die. Well, there's a few other steps in there that I don't think you want to sign up for. No, I, I completely agree. Some, you both have to die. Yeah. Your boyfriend's going to be the one coming back to avenge you, but how are you going to know? Yeah, you would never find it. Well, I guess their Dude, souls reunited at the end, right? <laughs> at the end, and that's the time. It's like, oh, you avenged me. High five, back in the hole. Hey, let me tell you about what I've been up to the last couple of days. <laughs> From July 6, 2018, easily the most handsome juggalo zombie. <laughs> oh, hands down. It would have been so amazing if like this movie somehow like backdoored a Fago ad into it. Oh yeah. Just their honey nut Cheerios moment. <laughs> it's just lighting up Fago cans. <laughs> like the light coming through. Oh god. I could see Brandon Lee walking over now, just go 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 go. This is better than the Carnival of Souls. That clown posse is insane. <laughs> it's the best way to put it. From August 21st, 2021, Joker for people who had a grunge phase in middle school. I mean, that's not unfair. <laughs> it is completely <laughs> accurate. I feel like a lot of Joker performances were inspired by this. Oh, absolutely. For sure. The last one I have is from October 28th, 2020. Guys, What's stopping you from looking like this? <laughs> and I have to answer, life. Life. It's life. But I promise you, when I come back as a zombie, first of all, that dad bod's probably going to be gone. Yep. Which is awesome. I'll fit in that 
nice long sleeve tee that Brandon Lee wears. Right. I'll juggle that face up. I'll oh, go yeah. avenge someone. Yeah. Put on your leather pants and and go venge some ints. Right. I'll go on your roof and I'll just blast off a sweet guitar solo. Right. And then smash the no guitar problem. on your roof. Hopefully exactly. that doesn't do too much damage, but. <laughs> oh, Metal Claws is here. That's what I call Jingle Bell Rock. Oh, God. That, uh, I regret everything. Yeah, you should. <laughs> Uh, let's give this thing a super stuff score before you dad joke me again. Let's do that. Start off with story motivation. Motivation's huge. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's vengeance. It is vengeance. It's the night. And the story is okay. It's a story we've seen a thousand times over, but right. I feel like here it's actually told really in a cool way because he pops up in the small town, <laughs> the small the city. small town Detroit. He avenges it in like two days and then he's out. It's like, oh, I did it. Neat. Consider that city avenged. Mic drop. I'm going to go with a one. One. Hero. He's sort of an anti-hero, isn't he? He is sort of an anti-hero. I mean, he is resurrected from the dead to kill a bunch of guys who are not so great. Also true. I feel weird saying he saves the day. He does whatever the day consists of. It's just a very crime-ridden small city. Point five to bail? I like that. Point five to bail. (laughs) Villains. Is it top dollar or is it just... No, he has to be the villain because everyone else is a hench. Everybody else is henchy. Even T-Bird, who they kind of frame as the villain, ends up just being a henchman to Top Dollar. I love Top Dollar, man. He's I think so he's so good. good in this. He just has this commanding presence. He's not afraid to take on a ghost. Say what you want about ghosts. This guy, he says, I got you. I'll, I'll go toe-to-toe with a ghost any day. And he does because he understands that this ghost can't die and he says blast him anyway. And he uses that as just a way to escape and right. figure out his next move to stop this ghost. And then he figures out the next move. Bam. He's just like, oh, I got a plot to kill a ghost. Then several people have warned me is on the way. And now he's here. So I better figure it out. And luckily, his stepsister, who he might be banging, is like, yeah, just kill his crow. I do find it weird that his whole motivation for being a bad guy is just to light fires on one specific night of the year. I mean, he really loves that night. Point seven five point for seven, that reason. Point I can't give him a full five one. <laughs> because he's a little too obsessed with Goosey Night. Uh huh. <laughs> Parents. No idea. Zero. No clue. Female characters. I mean, it's the ultimate fridging when it comes to Shelley. Does she even have like a real line in this movie? I don't think so. Sarah can't eat a hot dog. That's right. Mika or whatever her name is is there. She is the YMCA. I'm gonna go with a zero. Zero. Not a whole lot here. Yeah. Darla, and no, zeros. Setting. It's Detroit, can't you tell? It is the tiny little town of Detroit. Dallas looked more like Detroit in RoboCop, unfortunately. <laughs> That's true. I think that visually it looks absolutely amazing. It does. I love the way it's shot. I do not understand the geography of it, and that's okay for I it agree. being as small as it is. I 100% understand the time that it takes place in. Night. Night in the 90s. That's it. So, uh, point five. I feel comfortable saying. Point five for 90s night. Style and tone. One. Done. One. Easy. I'm not even going to give you reasons, because if you haven't picked them up by now, that's on you. You should have picked them up along the ride. Music. Graham Ravel. It is Graham Ravel, and the soundtrack kicks ass. The sound- Every single time a song came on, I was like, yeah, this is a 90s movie. What's up? <laughs> oh, my God. It doesn't Every time. At- Oh, I was like, I'm having a blast with this music. If you go to the roller rink on 90s night, you'll hear, you're gonna hear all these songs being played. Half of the soundtrack easy. I loved it, man. I'm going one. 
Easily. Easy one on music. One-liners. I mean, I guess the line, it can't rain all the time. Yeah. is like the one-liner from this movie, and a lot of people know it. That's true. I'll go point two five for that line. There's I, not a whole lot else. I feel like there's a lot of things that have potential to be one-liners, but this is my first viewing, and I'm not really... I mean, there's evidence last week that I'm not super familiar with The Crow because I did not know about the whole Brandon, Brandon Lee thing. Lee. So <laughs> clearly, I'm, this is a was a gap in my knowledge. Sure. I could see it being more quotable after a few viewings, but right now I'm sick with the point two five. Fair enough. Impact on the genre. I have absolutely no idea anymore because I thought that they had the right safety protocols in place on sets right that this could never happen again and then it does happen again right it's one of those things where if you asked me again day of recording this the alec baldwin thing happened yesterday if you asked me even yesterday morning i would have said yeah easy too but then it happens again and now where do we go and that that makes a serious dent in in its impact because it's still a thing that can happen which is so unfortunate yeah but at the same time i think i'm still going to go with a two Really? Because this movie did advance set safety just to the extreme. Because the other really, 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 really unfortunate death that occurred on set was 1982's The Twilight Zone with Vic Morrow. Right. When he got decapitated by a helicopter. By a helicopter? That's just not... Whew. Obviously, that was a complete freak accident. Right. Because there was an explosion that went off and got caught in the tail of the helicopter. The helicopter went down, decapitated him and two child actors. Right. That was almost unavoidable. That's a freak accident. This, with Brandon Lee, was completely avoidable. 100%. They had sent the armorer home early, yet they still tried to get the shot off, so it was just a prop guy doing it. He didn't check the gun. Right. I'm still going to go with the two. I can't talk myself out of it just because I've been on those sets where you have to have all those safety meetings. I've sure. been around so much gunplay on sets, and it is still taken super seriously, and it is so unfortunate that there are still negligent people out there. And there always will be negligent people out there. I'm convinced of that. Because if you even look at the Sarah Jones incident that happened in 2014. Yeah. When they the were train. doing Midnight Rider on the train where they had to go on a train trestle and two trains passed. They said, okay, that's as many trains as we're going to pass. We know we have the train now to set up this mattress and bed on these train tracks to get this shot. Right. And then a third train came. And the train unfortunately killed this camera assistant, Sarah Jones. Right. And her death actually became so important because- when you look at film production, this is going completely off. I'm going impacted too, by the way. Okay. But when you go with film production, there were three name shots on the day. There was the Marsha, 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 which was the third to last shot of the day. Okay. I never had to deal with it. It's an L.A. thing. There is the Abby Singer shot, who was an A.D., and whenever they say the Abby's up, it means that it's second to last shot. You guys can start packing up your equipment so we can get out of here once we're all done. It's kind of like a signal to the crew that you're working with right and the last shot of the day is the martini shot so you hear like oh martini's up and that's the greatest thing you could possibly hear martini's up and they call it that because the next shot's out of a glass ah right but after the sarah jones incident happened again this has nothing to do with the crow but it does have to do with set safety and god damn it that's on my mind right now because As of all it should this. be now the first shot of the day is called the jonesy and it's a signal to the crew to be safe to work safely keep your head on a swivel do everything you're supposed to do not every film set is just two actors talking yeah there's a lot of moving pieces no matter where you are. You're shutting down a lot of roads in order to make these movies and these TV shows. There is a lot of inherent danger out there, unfortunately. Right. And you might not think of it because it's just you're making a movie, whatever. Just these actors are going to talk. It's not. There's a whole army of people involved. Yeah. I've watched people I've worked with get hit by cars. 
<sighs> on these sets from just walking out from behind a trailer, not paying attention, a car speeding through. Thank God no one's ever gotten like seriously hurt, but I've seen it happen. Yeah. Gotta be safe. Yeah. You have to protect these people. This is a two. It takes a village. It absolutely does. That's more of a Patreon industry impact kind of deal, but I'm going to allow it because you're absolutely right. And you know what? Damn it. The genre is part of the industry. It absolutely is. And if you <laughs> want to go off of this, this genre itself this is a legendary performance. Absolutely. There, I backed up enough to say two again, I, I hope. And it's arbitrary. Get off my ass. Brandon Lee's great. So two. That's going to give The Crow a final score of seven. Nailed it. Perfect. Pretty good. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. Or just, you know what? Make it like your Devil's Night tradition, if you will. Ooh, that's fun. So you could stop toilet papering your own house like I did. Or my neighbor's <laughs> house. Or whoever's house it was. I don't know. There's a leaf blower involved. That's all I remember. Now there is. Now you could leaf blower it and just fire that toilet paper into your best bud's face if you want. Have a ball. You're an adult. Live your life. Do what you want. Have cake for breakfast. The Brian. Next question is, what are we talking about next week? Oh, get excited, because next week we're going back to the Tromaverse. It's time for Toxic Avenger Part 3, The Last Temptation of Toxie. It's been so long. Since we've visited the Tromaverse, I am so excited. I am pumped up. And since we're going back to Troma, of course we're bringing in our amateur Troma enthusiast, Kyle, from the Experience Grind podcast. We absolutely are. Stay tuned for that. I cannot wait for another Toxic Avenger movie. I'm so excited to get to watch it. Until then, thanks for listening. Rate, review, subscribe. Join us on Patreon this month for Smokey and the Bandit. Email us your questions and comments at capepodcasters.com. Follow us on social media at capepodcasters on all the things, especially Facebook, where we always put up a recording day post saying, hey, you have questions or comments about this movie? Dave, do we have any? We absolutely do. First one is from Captain Spoiler himself, Micah. He says, assume Brandon Lee is still alive, and each of you cast him in a movie you would have liked to have seen him star in that has come out since 1994. I think the first time they tried to make Shang-Chi back in the early 2000s. And that's funny because that's exactly where my head went right away. Because he's got the acting chops. He's got the martial arts skills. It would have been awesome. It would have been. But the one that I really, really, really think that he would have done unbelievably in, The Matrix. Oh, that would be sick. I love Keanu in The Matrix, and I understand it's an iconic performance. But I think that Brandon Lee would have brought something just completely different to that role. Absolutely. Of Neo. I just got chills. Like, actually, I'm actually getting chills right now thinking about it. Man, that would have been cool. That would have been real cool. Jeff Miners also wrote it, and he said, if Kubrick, Hitchcock, or Burton, all in their prime, decided to make this movie, what sort of changes do you think would have been made to fit the style of the director? Wow. I love this question. That's an interesting question. Okay, first of all, Burton would have done it in Claymation. Without a doubt, he would have. <laughs> and there would have been gigantic statues. Oh, uncomfortable. And Brian would be uncomfortable. And it would be uh, Johnny Depp as the crow. <laughs> Without a doubt, it would have been. Easy. I think had Kubrick done this, it wouldn't have felt as 90s. That makes sense. But I think the pacing would have been really, really cool of letting the scenes play out a little bit longer letting Brandon Lee's performance like yeah. shine just even a little bit more. Kubrick knew how to get to his actors. Yeah. And I feel like Brandon Lee comes off as both badass and charming in this thing. And I feel like if Absolutely. I feel like Kubrick would have like unlocked some other bit to that character. Right. Of like 
I'm dead. I need to realize that I'm dead. And like there's a trauma to being dead and now you're alive again. And I feel like Kubrick, that's where he would have really dialed in. Absolutely. It would have gone from a 100-minute movie to a 140-minute movie. Easily. <laughs> and Hitchcock would have never have touched this. <laughs> so there you go. It would just be the birds, but it actually it would just be the birds. <laughs> that's it. Hard stop, it's the birds. Jeff, Micah, thank you for your questions. Guys, I'm sorry, but also not sorry for soapboxing about set safety. I take it Everything you said personally. needed to be said. So, And it's just so topical right now, and it's on top of my mind. I, I just care about my friends on set, and I care about everyone I don't know also on set, because I understand how hard they're working every day to entertain you. Yeah. And they deserve to work safely. Amen. That being said, Brian, you got anything else? Go visit kpodcasters.com. Go check out our new merch. It is live now, and all the proceeds are still going to Extra Life all the way up until stream day. There's some really, really good shirts there. There's a This Old Fortress shirt that I absolutely love. Bob Vila. But you guys absolutely should go check out all the new merch that's there. And that's it for me. Fantastic. We're going to see you guys next week for Toxic Avenger 3, The Last Temptation of Toxie. Same pod time. Same pod hot dog.